It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. And I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. And we are again at NRB, National Religious Broadcasters Convention. And I'm learning so much about so many different things. And who I have right now in front of me is Rabbi Dove Lipman. And he's a former member of the Knesset, uh, Israel's parliament, really, is what it is. But you have such an interesting story. And I know that people think... Oh, you're a rabbi, you're from Israel, you're a former member of Knesset. You were born in the United States. Born in the United States and lived in the United States most of my life. I moved to Israel when I was 32 years old and very much see myself as an American who grew up with core American values. How did you, how did you end up going to Israel and becoming a Knesset member? So the inspiration to move to Israel was very spiritual in nature. It wasn't something which was planned for a long time, but there was a moment on a visit to Israel in 2003 where I just felt we have the opportunity to raise our family in the Jewish state. Why not take advantage of that blessing from God to be mm-hmm. part of that? And it was the best decision we ever could have made uh, to be raising a family, you know, to see my son, who on the one hand has the American side, he's a pitcher for the Israel baseball team, but also a commander <laughs> in a combat unit in the IDF. Mm-hmm. That combination kind of really captures the American story of, of moving to Israel. And the story of being elected to the Knesset, you know, that God runs the world and puts you in positions. And it really was, there was a conflict going on within Israel, which I won't get into the details of, but it was part of my American background of growing up with, with Christians and, and, and Muslims, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, all in the neighborhood in Silver Spring, Maryland, where I grew up. And it was so natural for me to get along with everyone that brought me to uh, an issue in Israel where there were some internal conflicts. And that community activism ultimately led to political parties having interest in me and my uh, ascent to only, as I said, uh, miraculously uh, being elected to the Knesset. Okay, but Americans aren't just elected to Israel's Knesset. I mean, there's going to be some kind of law against that. So uh, I got a letter after the after the election. I got a letter from the Israeli Knesset saying you cannot be sworn in in two weeks unless you renounce your American citizenship. Wow, what? Uh, and I'm, what a crisis. Yes. I, it wasn't a difficult decision to make because mm-hmm. the opportunity to serve in the Knesset was certainly one that I wanted to take advantage of. Right. But right. I grew up in a very patriotic American home. Every single morning, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, American flag outside our home all year round. And it was traumatic. It was, it was, it was actually difficult as they make you stand in the embassy and raise your right hand and say, I hereby renounce my... This is a country that gave my father's side of the family safe haven to run to for progress in Russia, late 19th century, my mother's side of the family after the Holocaust. I can say I never experienced a moment of anti-Semitism growing up as a very open Jew in this country, and I felt like an ingrate of sorts uh, in renouncing my citizenship. But I know people who have dual citizenship. Why couldn't you have that as well? So when one makes Aliyah, and that's the terminology, by the way, for moving to Israel, it's, mm-hmm. we don't call it immigration. It's Aliyah means moving upwards because it's a spiritual elevation to make mm-hmm. Israel your home. You are allowed to keep your citizenship. So I was an American and an Israeli at the same time. But Israel, the Israeli parliament has a law. They want to make sure that the members of parliament are making decisions without any conflicts of interest at all at heart. And 
I have to say mm. I am here fully in the Israeli camp and while I can still root for my sports teams in America <laughs> uh, I had to give up the citizenship so you don't even have your American passport anymore they give it back to you after the process with a hole in it as a souvenir and I have hold, I've held on to it <laughs> just in case yeah. but but you have created Yad Lolim what is that we live in a time where you know, people look at Israel and you see Israel in the news and you see conflict and you see security issues and diplomatic issues and maybe economic crisis here and there. And that minutia is important, obviously, running a country. But I believe that especially people of faith have to zoom out sometimes and recognize we are living in a time where biblical prophecy is coming true before our eyes. Mm. You open up the Bible and it says the Jews will be scattered to the four corners of the world. And then God says, but I'll remember the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'll bring them back. Uh, literally, uh, it, it, from the four corners of the earth, they'll be scattered and I will come and bring them back. And for thousands of years, people of faith believed those prophecies. Right, right. You don't, you don't have to believe it anymore. It's happening right in front of your eyes. And I am blessed to run an organization which helps. They're called Olim, people moving to Israel from all around the world. We have now reached, the organization is only around for two years, over 30,000 families from 41 different countries that have reached out, that if they had an awakening, they want to come home and make Israel their home. There's so, many in, there's so much packed in what you just said. First of all, the idea of coming back to Israel um, when I've covered things like controversies over um, Arus and things like that in the United States, there are some of the some of the objections, some of the greatest criticisms have come from other Jews. And so there's a conflict within the Jewish world. There is no doubt that one of the more difficult uh, moments that I have in meetings, especially with let's say members of Congress who I speak to about Israel, mm -hmm. and they'll look at me and they'll say. I support Israel. I love Israel. I pray for Israel. Why are my Jewish constituents holding me back from moving forward full-fledged you know, full with my support? That's mm -hmm. very hard for me to hear. Yeah. And there's no doubt that generally, generally this works on faith-based and not. And there is the, the further someone moves away from Scripture and from faith, I believe you know, the idea that this is our homeland, uh, we, every part of this land has been given to us, uh, I believe that there is definitely a conflict that happens there. There are times that there are religion, state, and issue, state issues in Israel which do push uh, certain members of the Jewish faith away from Israel. And that's something which I actually am working to try to heal, that Israel should be a place where all Jews can feel at home and not in any way feel distanced by perhaps a more orthodox religious establishment. And I personally am orthodox and uh, certainly believe with passion what I believe, but certainly embrace and love all my Jewish brothers and sisters and want them all to feel at home in Israel. So these are internal issues in Israel which do have an impact, though, on sort of the broader Jewish community and how much support they do give to Israel. And I have to... <clears throat> I know that there are a lot of people who do not understand the historical land of Israel. They don't understand the history of it, and I would suggest they watch Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, but that's another issue right there. <laughs> um, but explain what this land, why this land um, is been, being fought over, and it's not just a fight that's from the last century. It is a several centuries old, several millennia old fight. But explain what this land is and means to Israel. So, from the Jewish perspective, when we have a Bible which says, and God says, and it says it over and over and over, the land that I'm giving to you as an inheritance, the land that I'm giving to you as your inheritance, this is the land, and the entire Bible essentially is our story of going from the persecution and the slavery in Egypt to the promised land. Uh, 
it's the most central element of the Jewish faith is that we are really supposed to be living in that land to the point there are actually opinions that say our ritual observance outside the land of Israel is just practice for when we actually are living there with the temple uh, the way God envisions that it should be. There is, you look at the history, uh, it's a land which is very central. It connects three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. So every world conqueror has wanted that land in order for, for trade routes and for military purposes. But there's a deeper battle over that land, and it's a spiritual battle. Uh, I think that the enemies of the Jewish people know that if they can keep the Jewish people out of that land, that is what will lead ultimately to their goal, which is the annihilation of the Jewish people. And if you think about it for a moment, 2,000 years we were exiled from that land. And no matter where we were, no matter what we were experiencing, we said two times a year at the holiest moments in Hebrew, Lashana Hababi Yerushalayim, which means next year in Jerusalem. We believed it, we prayed for it, and now that it's happening... You look at our neighbors around us, really, there's, there, there are over, well over 20 Muslim countries in the Middle East with enough space for the entire Muslim population to live very comfortably and without any tension whatsoever. Why? Why can they not allow the small little Jewish people to be in this small little country? It's because they absolutely recognize that this is the key to our survival because the key to our survival is spiritual in nature, not just physical. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's so much antagonism towards Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the heart and soul of Israel and the Jewish people. So why would they eliminate, why would they want the elimination of the Jewish people? That's the question that I don't have an answer to. Mm -hmm. I don't have an answer to what is it that leads nations of the world to say, and over and over, look at the history, like you said, study the history, not just in Israel, outside of Israel, over and over again, we are here to do, I don't know the answer to that question. I can tell you this, living in Israel and having a child who served in the IDF, you know, one of our leaders once said, and it's been mentioned actually at the NRB numerous times, if our enemies would lay down their arms, we will have peace the next minute. We, we have no interest in any conflict. Right. If we lay down our arms, we will be annihilated. They will destroy us if we don't defend ourselves. And I can't answer the question of what is it about the Jewish people that they want to destroy, but that there is a determined effort to do so, that I see openly. Well, it is a spiritual. It is a spiritual war. It is a spiritual battle. It's the. It's you know. It's all part of that spiritual battle. And if you don't recognize spirituality as there, or recognize that there is something called a spiritual evil, you will not recognize the motivation behind your own desire to see Israel destroyed. One hundred percent. That that I believe is also at the heart of this relationship between the Jewish nation and the Christian people Absolutely. about Israel. This is not. You know, the U.S.-Israeli relationship is important for military purposes and for intelligence and everything else. But at its core. I see it as a faith-based relationship because we stand for those same values in terms of what the world should look like and what a spiritual world would look like. And we're the ones who are sharing that with the world. And Israel is actually supposed to be, and this might actually be part of the answer to your question, it's supposed to be the spiritual base from which light will go to the world and be the light into the nations. So it's very possible that as part of the spiritual battle that's going on in the world, people do not want that base to be in place because they understand the implications that it could have. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Let's talk about the anti-Semitism that is growing in the United States, because this is what um, has been in the news a lot. What do you see as happening? Do you see it as a rise in anti-Semitism? Because some people just 
say that it doesn't exist. I absolutely see it. I can tell you as someone who grew up in America and never thought twice in America of walking around with my kippah, my head covering on, and, and openly praying in an airport, uh, now I'm afraid. Now I look around me before I do so. I walk in the streets of Manhattan and keep my eyes open, something I never would have imagined before. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely a rise. There's definitely a concern uh, amongst the Jewish people here. Uh, we are definitely... Um, happy that we have allies and those who come to be together with us and to try to fight against it. But this is something which the United States has to look at very, very carefully because world history has shown that it starts slowly in the most open and freest of nations. And if it's not stopped and if it's not put an end to it, then it just continues to grow to the point that it's out of control. And that's certainly not an America that we want to see. But there is a marketing effort going on by a lot of Muslim-majority countries, um, in, particularly in the universities. And you've got, um, I think, Muslim countries paying for chairs at certain universities of a Palestinian kind of viewpoint and so they are swaying the college age university children children they're not children but you know young people <laughs> right. about the politics of the Middle East I don't have a doubt and I can tell you my proof to that because I go to college campuses and when I speak first of all there's obviously sometimes conflict about speaking etc but I see young educated people even Jewish uh, children students by the way it's presented as social justice and human rights is on one side and Israel's on the other side it's presented to them that way in a absolute uh, well-financed effort of, of, of a historic revisionism at its best and a young college student will choose uh, human rights and social justice over Israel and that's a tragedy because Israel is from my perspective, just the opposite. Is there a conflict? Of course there's a conflict that we have to deal with and we're trying and it's complicated and it's complex and there's no, but it's not an apartheid state. Just walk around the country and you'll see it. It's yeah. a country, I served in the Knesset with Arab members of Knesset and Arab speakers of the Knesset, deputy speakers of the Knesset and there were Arab Supreme Court justices and there were Arab captains of Israeli national sports teams. This is not an apartheid country. This is a country which is in a complicated situation and trying to navigate that. But it, it, these terminologies that are put on it and then these pictures you know, I often ask myself we just I'll just give you an example and your, your uh, audience should hear this two weeks ago a Friday afternoon I'm getting ready for the Sabbath in my town of Beit Shemesh which is not in any conflict zone and an air raid siren goes off and we have 20 seconds to find shelter oh, wow. from incoming missiles from Islamic jihadist terrorists in Gaza ask yourself for a moment uh, imagine if America was in a conflict with Mexico. Okay? And, and, and someone in Mexico lobs a missile into a city in Texas, San Antonio. I can tell you, no matter who the President of the United States is, the U.S. Air Force will be unleashed on the area where that missile came from. You don't send a missile into our air. That happens in Israel, where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of missiles targeted at our cities at innocent women and children all we do is go back and try to take out the missile launchers and assassinate the terrorists responsible and the world says we're the aggressors mm. we, we are we are we are not we are it's out of proportion all we're trying to do is but that's the narrative that's told to young people throughout the United States of America that also plays a role in the rise of anti-semitism so what's next though I mean I think the idea is that you know let me back up again the big O because you know all Islam, Christianity, Judaism can chart their beginnings to um, Father Abraham. Right. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, Abraham, then Isaac, and Ishmael. So technically, the Jews and the Christians, Jews and the Muslims, are kind of brothers. 
And 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 what happened to that relationship? Why can't brothers get along? So first of all, we actually talk to each other as we're cousins. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I've been in the news at times with, with Palestinian leaders and they say, they say cousin, they call me that. So we're aware of that relationship. There's no doubt that there's biblical origins to the conflict. But the part that I look at is the fact that when Abraham passed away, the Bible says that Ishmael and Isaac came together to bury him. Yes. And the commentaries say that's foretelling the end of, you know, towards the end of times when this relationship will be healed. And I want to say to you, I think we've been experiencing some of that. A peace deal with Egypt, a peace deal with Jordan, a peace agreement with the United Arab Emirates, the whole Abraham Accords. There's something there where if the Muslim side will just say, Israel has a right to exist as a Jewish state. Let's lay down our arms. Let's work together. Incredible things can happen. I believe that's part of the fulfillment of the prophecies as well. So whereas, yes, it's rooted, I believe, in the biblical origins, the end of the story, which is a reconciliation of sorts, I also believe has its biblical origins. And I guess a question should be posed to a Palestinian as well, because I think that would really, really yield some understanding of why this is so hard. Why is it hard? for Muslim-majority countries to say Israel has a right to exist? The narrative that's been told, uh, you know, there was no, let's be very honest here and open, there was no Palestinian people living in this land. For right? The term Palestine was a Roman term to eradicate a Jewish presence in the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the Jerusalem Post was called the Palestine Post before the state of Israel was formed. The term Palestine was just what the, the land was used for. Uh, we accepted time and time again back in 1947 uh, in, in, in the partition plan. Uh, we accepted it in, after the Six-Day War when we offered the land back as well. We want peace. Just live side by side and we'll manage. There seems to be some kind of an understanding, and this is going back to the roots of the, of the conflict in the most negative of terms, that if we allow the Jewish people to have this land, they will continue to flourish as we have. We've gone from 600,000 people in 1948, 7 million Jews, and we are a world power uh, economically, and we're making a difference in the world, uh, bringing innovation and technology to the whole world. We are flourishing as a people because we have our homeland. And if at its core, for whatever the reasons are, they do not want the Jewish people to exist, and maybe it does go back to the spiritual battle you were talking about of the Judeo-Christian ethic, the way to do that is keep us out of the land of Israel. And that is what they are single-mindedly focusing on because the Arabs in the land of Israel can live there, live a good life. The Palestinians have been offered numerous times opportunities to have their own land there as well. And that's a great sacrifice from the Israeli side. And yet they say no over and over and over again. That's because they don't want a deal. They don't want peace. They want the Jewish people out of that land. Well, and last, let's talk about um, Yad Lolim because what are the difficulties in bringing... Um, um, Jews from various parts of the world back to Israel to live in what they call Aliyah. Aliyah? Aliyah. Aliyah. Exactly. If you think about it for a moment, you take a a family, uh, mother, father, and four or five children, and they're going to pick up from whatever country they're living and move to the Middle East. There is so much that goes into it. The first step is the bureaucratic process of just being approved for Aliyah. You get automatic citizenship when you land in Israel, but there's documentation that has to be shown. There's even FBI clearances, things like that. They want to make sure that criminals aren't coming Mm -hmm, into the country. mm -hmm. We protect our borders very, very safely. And uh, that's the first step. So it's helping them with all that documentation. Then it's 
kids. Choosing where am I going to live? Uh, where should my children go to school? How do I navigate a totally new healthcare system? Uh, how do I make sure that my lift gets from the port to my, you know, I'm paying the right taxes? And there's so many issues along the way, language barriers, cultural barriers. Mm-hmm. So Yad Olim is there to help those people who are making Aliyah through all of those steps. And when I think about we're around for two years and the numbers, th- over 30,000 families from 41 countries wow. that have reached out, including some of from Iran who was making Aliyah to make Israel their home there's a lot of work that goes into that people can read about it at yadlaolim.org just to hear this amazing story of a people after I mean this is really I've said this statement hundreds of times the last 10 years and I'll stand by it here as well there's no story like this in world history of a people exiled from their indigenous homeland scattered to the four corners of the earth for two thousand years but hold on to a hope of coming back and now are rebuilding our back and rebuilding their biblical and ancestral homeland but part of the challenge is in that as well different culture we're coming from different countries different nationalities different cultures different languages and tried to create this melting pot in the land of Israel that's that's an effort and when people read in the news about internal conflicts in Israel and politics and elections over and over again that's part of that story it's because we're just here 75 years from 2,000 years of experiences right. and trying to figure out what does a Jewish and democratic state mean in the 21st century and we're trying to feel our way through that right now. Wow. Um, Rabbi Lipman, thank you so much and the re- website is Yad Lolim and it's Y-A-D L-O-L-I-M Dot org. Dot org. Correct. And if people okay. want to partner in the fulfillment of biblical prophecies, there's ways to do that, you know, being part of that process as well. We welcome that partnership. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Thank you so much. God bless. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Lighthouse Faith, Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. Have a blessed day. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.